ever play drums in your band? Uh, no. Why not? Didn't want to haul all the stuff around. <laughs> you just need a drum pad. That's right. That's all you need. No, it's so much <laughs> stuff. It's mostly air. You have to set it up. It's like moving an apartment every weekend or every night, rather. It's like, did I do a lot of drums on the EP? Um, yeah, but I don't want to carry the physical stuff around. <laughs> so you can play. Uh, I can. I can. I can program drums. Ah, uh, okay. So you're a programmer. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I can. I could program drums if need be, but um, I would want a, an actual drummer to write over the top. I could do the MVP. Can we get a link to the EP in the show notes? Maybe. I'll think about it. Actually, I had a fun, fun time with the uh, pocket operator this week. I was working on a new feature for the RHR console. And uh, this is a feature called a lockout where what can happen is it's, uh, it's basically like a global lock where only one person can transmit at any given time. And you might be distributed across the whole world, right? Like you're not sitting in the same room as a person. And so if you try to transmit uh, and someone else is transmitting at the same time, someone has to get kicked off and locked out, right? So you have to have a, what I wanted to do is have a sound effect that would indicate, you know, there's visuals that says, like, it's orange, it says, hey, you know, you're locked out. But I want to have a, an audible sound effect in case you're not looking or in case you miss it or in case you're colorblind. Like, that's, you know, a lot of hams are men. A lot of men are colorblind. That's a thing. So, <laughs> so I need to make a little sound effect that said, hey, something's wrong. So I went to my pocket operator, went to one of the uh, drum slices, found a good sound that's kind of like a, well, you know what? I'll splice it in here in the show afterwards. But it's a good little sound. Recorded it with Audio Hijack. Suck it in the console. Makes a little beep beep noise when you when you transmit. And that was uh, a fun little diversion. Yeah, it's inter- like audio design is really interesting, especially for uh, you like UIs and things. Yeah, it's really hard to do, I imagine, to get it right. Could you make all the Mac OS sounds? Asks Thomas. Remake all the Mac OS sounds. That's a that would be a fun challenge for sure. There's a lot of stuff just built in. Obviously, you can record over the samples on the Pocket Operator, but it comes with a pretty good, pretty diverse set of things built in. Some fun things uh, might be interesting. That's a cool. I mean, that's a cool little prod. Like a, I don't want to say like a little project, but that's a cool uh, thing to be doing for a project, like custom. It adds a little bit of flair to it, you know. Or you could go the other direction and uh, take OS sounds and record them as samples, right? And then make a song out of the samples. I've seen people do that with like the Windows sound effects and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Traditionally, I've just used GarageBand to make little sound effects because there's a lot of control there with just that you get for free. Sure. I've been thinking a little bit about how to put my own spin on my projects. Uh, so, so now that I have, uh, I looked actually, and I have three, I have three projects that I'm contributing code to that are like my projects right now. And in your projects, you mean your work projects, right? Not your personal projects. No, I mean side side projects. Side projects, okay. Yeah. So, so you know, I've I've gone from the point of I don't know what to use to make this stuff, and I'm just making this stuff, right? So, I like I like I've talked about, um, I've settled on TypeScript, uh, just 
what I'm using. And, and so now I'm actually in the, okay, we're making stuff phase. And, uh, for, for a long while now, I've just been using Tailwind UI. Like that was, that's the thing. Like I just grabbed Tailwind UI snippets out of there and my, my stuff looks like Tailwind UI, you know? And I've mostly been happy with that because you get you, get you bootstrap problem. Well, it gets you, it gets you to where people can use your thing and your thing isn't complete garbage. Probably like you can make complete garbage with Tailwind UI, but you know, probably it's not complete garbage. So it gets you 80 to 80% of the way there. But well, now that, now that I'm getting a little bit farther in on a couple of them, uh, especially this, this message box app for, for Jamie. So she's actually been using it this week. She started on a new, I don't know what to call it case. I don't know. Right. So she's, uh, for people that don't know, she's a staff attorney for a nonprofit. And so she is working on these cases uh, to sort of help protect uh, a rather large like river watershed area here. So uh, yeah, so I'm making something for her to use so she doesn't have to subscribe to Outlook and use Outlook. And yeah, so she's using it. It's being used every day. Cool. And and so now I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, well now I want to make it look nice, you know? So I start going through Tailwind. I'm like, okay, well here's, basically it's like an, it's like a email inbox UI. It is more or less what I'm building. And of course, Tailwind UI has a couple of examples. Uh, but what really stopped me from actually just porting, pulling that UI right into right into the project I'm working on is that I just, I just really don't want to convert all of the markup to JSX and React components. <laughs> like, I don't want to copy paste all that HTML and chop it up. It's, it's, I just don't want to do it, right? So yeah, so now I'm looking at okay, what can I what can I like pull from Tailwind UI, but also what kind of what can I make my own, which feels really good because it's been a long time since when, since I've been in that phase of a project where yeah, it's working, someone's using it, they're general like relatively happy, uh, and so now I'm thinking about okay, what's Post and VP look like? So, is your goal to you know you mentioned. Uh, putting your own flair on it is that kind of what you're going for just to make it not so tailwindy or is it a usability thing or you know what's your motivation there both i mean i i want it to be tailored towards you know especially jamie's workflow eventually i would like to open this thing up and maybe sell it or whatever you know uh so i guess i'm not really at mvp yet because there's only one person it's like made for one person currently but um i want it to be more than just a generic like there's a list on the left and a message view on the right, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You could go full, uh, full base camp slash hey and like <laughs> make a flow that no one's ever seen before. Yeah. And I guess at that point, like I'd have to know what the flow is. Like, I don't know what the flow is. I've done, I've done enough where you can use it, but I don't know what sucks about it. I don't know what's hard to use. I don't know. So I have I have a number of things I've added to. I'm just using GitHub projects to manage it. And I've had a number of things I've added to it, like keyboard shortcuts, like push forward slash to search maybe. I want to be able to have Jamie tag messages. So like if she's if a bunch of messages are for one case and a bunch of messages for another case, I want her to be able to multi-select them in the sidebar and tag them or tag them on import, for example. You know, so there's some sort of... Uh, I, they're, they're not really specific to this use case. I think like many other applications do this, right? It's sort of a generic use case where you have an import flow and you want to tag that, that information together. Um, I think it's like, you know, beyond those features, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what can, 
what can we do here to make this better? Can it, can I, can I implement some sort of thing that scans the contents and like maybe finds links between messages? Uh, you know, that could be interesting project to work on. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. It feels good, uh, to be at this phase, but yeah, I'm realizing how much more work there could like, could be going into this (laughs) thing as I talk about it. Sure. I mean, the sky's the limit, right? With all the different features you could add. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I've been talking with, with Paul about it and he's been encouraging me to, you know, just throw it on the Apple store, the app store. Um, he says it's not too difficult to satisfy the requirements to do that. And I could do that. And then you sort of have built in distribution, right? Like, I mean, the base level distribution you can do is throw it in the app store and send people a link. Uh, and I mean, you've, you've got apps in there, right? So it's not like you're actively, marketing stuff that you've put out. It's, they're just kind of there and people discover it somehow. Yep, exactly. Through the crappy search. So I think that that could be a good first approach. for. So, so this would be like my first app, right? Non-web app, right? So I think that could be a first, first good approach uh, is just to kind of like make it work well enough and then chuck it in the app store and just continue to work on it and maybe people will find it that way. Well, the cool thing about putting it out there too is it motivates you to actually start supporting and improving it because you now know that people are real people are actually using it and might be depending on it. Mm-hmm. And that level of that's a that's a motivator right there. I mean, you, you know, when you work on a project for a client, when you work on a, a you know side project, you don't always have that that pressure on you that that uh, dependency. You know, someone's depending on you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah to maintain the app and so like that's even even just i find even just telling people about an app sending sending a, a screenshot to someone or sending a like hey i'm working on this thing even that is enough for me to just like hey uh, like cult of done right posting on the internet counts as a ghost of done right like putting it out there mentioning it to someone you know is is the thing like okay this is real now let's let's uh you know work on improving it yeah, I think yeah. I mean, Jamie's using it, which is which is nice, but she's you know as long as it works, she's happy to just deal with a sucky workflow. I think that's one thing that we've been kind of working on is I'll show her, you know, better touch tool for example was a huge eye opener, especially in law school, um, working through citations and law review and things like that. I'm always like, well, you know, there's a way you could like assign all of this to one one button on the keyboard. She's like, what? You know, and and so. <laughs> I think, you know, I think a portion of people are just, if they find a way that works, even if it's tedious, they'll just, they'll just work through it. They don't care, you know, um, which is fine. But yeah, I want to sort of like figure out, okay, I don't want you to be like, I don't want her to be happy with it being tedious. I want to figure out how I can make it like more tailored. And I guess for me, like you talked about motivation, that was actually one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit today was motivation on the side projects. And in my mind, like if I can make software to make environmentally conscious lawyers more efficient, then I'm doing a net positive for the planet, which is one of the main motivations for uh, starting some of these things in the first place, or even like looking around for tools that I can make to make them more efficient. So there's like an inherent motivation for me there. Um, but I'm fi- I didn't I didn't think this would be the case, but I'm finding that like. Now that I'm at a place where someone's using it, I'm finding more motivation in 
making like I said, making it my own, putting my own spin on it. What does my aesthetic look like? What do I think a good app works like? You know, what do I think a good workflow could be? Instead of just sort of, I've 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 always kind of like been in MVP mode. I've been in MVP mode for a long time. I think um, even with DK, right? It was always sort of just the rocket going to the moon. The rocket's never slowing down. Sort of sort of thing. You're sort of like building the tracks as you're going, and um, yeah. And I think at a certain point you end up emulating people for so long that you never really end up developing your own style. It's just like music, right? Like you can pick up an instrument and you can learn to play music. And if, if that's all you ever do is cover songs, then you might not ever define your own style. Like you might like, you know, you might never learn like, what do you play? Like what is your spin, uh, et cetera. So that was not something that I would have expected to run into or expected to be a motivation, but it is. Yeah, I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's a problem of just, you know, aping people's style. I think it's more of a a side effect of what kind of work you've done before. Like you've worked on projects that are never finished. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like <laughs> you you've worked on you've worked on DK where uh you know, you were in the startup phase for basically the entire time you were there. Yeah, you had to time some time to do some, you know, rewriting and refactoring, but you were uh, always growing, always adding new features, like writing entire new businesses that split off from the main business, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and even with your side projects, like you, you put some time into them, but never really enough to sort of call something finished, right? I think the the key to that level of polish is sort of having the time to do it, being able to justify like, okay, I'm done. Now let's let's clean it up. Let's do... Let's spend some time on the little polished details. You know, I um I recently worked on a feature for uh my Soda Goat, my uh summits on the air ham radio app. And one of the features I wanted to add was a summit tracker. So like it has a whole database of summits in it. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just say, hey, go to this summit and it brings up a compass and tells you the distance and tells you the elevation remaining, right? Use the GPS, you could self-post yourself and like all this stuff. And I the amount of time I spent just on the compass UI. Like <laughs> stupid. I I did a fully custom, like painted, pixel painted the entire compass UI, like on every refresh, rotating the text so it's always upright, drawing the arrow so it's relative to north, right? And then I even did this like trigonometry math to figure out to sort of like draw a pseudo drop shadow. So like as the little north triangle rotates around the circle, like it, it, the the shadow kind of falls underneath it, right? No one's ever going to notice that, but it's cool. It was fun to work on, and uh, you know that that kind of freedom of having the time to like work on those cool little whiz bang features that if even one person notices it, or even if they don't notice it, they just you know gain some extra sort of usability from the fact that. Uh, you spend the extra time to to do this this little nice little thing is um i think i think what that really comes down to again it's just being i'm using air quotes done i don't know or 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 just incrementally adding features that are small enough that you can you know what i mean uh the scope of the feature is so small that you can spend time on the the little details yeah i i think uh that's a big part of what you you're alluding to alluding to basically by adding enough features essentially or not adding enough features but like adding enough to it over time you're essentially just showing up over time and and that was that was something i was thinking about yesterday i was looking at this essentially pile of garbage that i was like here jamie use this 
it looks a little bit better than it did, you know, and I'm looking around at other um, electron based apps. Like there's one called uh, Mochi, uh, which is for space repetition. And it looks great. It's electron app. And I'm looking at my app and I'm looking at Mochi and I'm like, oh, my app sucks. But then I, you know, then I started to think about like, well, I wonder how long they've been working on Mochi. And I wonder how long I've been like, I know how long I've been working on this thing. So I don't know why my mind always goes to that. Like what I'm doing uh, sucks, but yeah, it, it sort of just like, just keeps showing up over time. You know, if, the first couple of songs you write aren't going to be good. You just have to write dozens and dozens of songs before you come across a couple that are good. Like a, a band going into the studio to record a record, they don't show up with 10 songs. They show up with 50. They show up with 75 songs. And you get you get 10 out of it. You know what I mean? It's a similar it's a similar process, I guess. So it feels good to feel like I'm getting to that point. Like the side project I've done, projects I've done up to this point have been more about the tech than about the projects themselves. So uh, now that the tech is out of the way, and I'm t- I keep saying it to myself just because uh, I know my tendencies. So if you say it enough, it's true. It'll become true. That's right. right. Now that the tech is out of the way, I'm just building stuff, right? So. Again, like going back to that interview I had with Insomnia where I was talking about, I was talking to Kong's uh, VP of engineering and he asked like, do you have any questions for me? And I said, yeah, if, if you were in my position, what would you be doing? And, and that, his answer was just build stuff. Doesn't matter if it's good, doesn't matter if it's bad, doesn't matter what it is, just build stuff. Again, we'll put a link to Cult of Dunn in the show notes. Uh, so Sensei X in the, in, in the chat uh, is asking like our apps ever finish, <laughs> and then Paul, <laughs> and then Paul said yes when they're discontinued, and that hit me hard. <laughs> that's that's the real truth right there, the real truth bomb. Yeah, no, they're never really software's never really finished. There's always going to be another bug. There's always going to be like a better way to, you could do, be doing something. There's always going to be, especially when you have a collection of people using stuff. There's always going to be. Uh, you know, different workflows or different ways of doing things or improvements you can make to make it better for the collective, right? And so what makes it so hard to make the right thing in the long run, I think, is managing feedback from people because, the you know, I think like the, minor, the minority of people using your software are like the vocal ones are the minority, right? So they could be screaming at you the most for a certain feature, but maybe that's not what the majority wants. Uh, and so one of the hardest things about building software over the long time, long term is just making the right decisions for your users. It's so funny. Just, just in contrast, uh, to provide a little contrast, I've been, I've been messing around with this, uh, IBM, uh, portable 5155 that I mentioned, I think earlier on the show, it's a little, uh, IBM from the 1985, six, I think is when it came out 86. Anyway, it's running, you know, PC DOS, not even MS DOS, PC DOS, five and a half inch floppies, right? All this stuff. Let me tell you, man. Basically, everything I've done to this has just worked. You know, yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, finagling. Yeah, I've got some RAN chips that are bad and I had to replace. Yeah, the floppy drive needed a bit of lube. But guess what? Every single friggin' piece of software that I've tried to run on this thing just works. DOS boots. Download programs from archive.org. Throw them on a throw them on a disc and put them on there. They just work. Like the machine feels like a machine. Like I can open it up and work on it. Like all the parts are replaceable. Bucky's spilling them everywhere right now. No, really. Hold on. Anyway, it's funny to think about like our software is like never going to be finished. 
and probably won't be supported a few years in the future if someone tries to run it. But this thing is still kicking, and it's just such a contrast to like the stuff that we're doing where, I don't know, it's just, it just blows my mind that this stuff can just can still just work as it did the day it came out. A lot of the stuff I've worked on sort of feels ephemeral. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the nature of what we do, though, right? I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just every week there's, you know, new version of Next, new Laravel Con, new Phoenix Conference, new things being announced, a new way, new approach of building things, uh, new, 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 updated, 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 et cetera. But you, but you don't have to worry about stuff because you, uh, you got your tech stack ironed out. Yeah, what do, what do I care if, if Laravel is going to be using like a Go router under the hood to replace Nginx? Like, I don't care about that anymore. Right. Or like, next time you need to start a project, then maybe look at the state of the art at that point. Sure, yeah. Or don't. Or look at the thing from that was state of the art two years ago and use that. <laughs> it's probably a better idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. You just got to use something. You got to get good enough at using something to build something that's, again, I keep telling myself <laughs> all that. But I don't know. I'm pretty happy doing what I'm doing. Yeah, there's, you know, I have complaints, but. You're not fired up enough today. No, I'm just really, really tired this week. Like, I mi- like I had half the week off because moving and all that stuff, but I'm still just kind of out of it. I spent all day today in Jira getting things for the next month sort of outlined and putting the tickets and ready to go for, for the team. So they like, it was awesome while I was gone. Um, you know, I divvied up some assignments like, or you're leading up, you're leading the spring kickoff. You're doing this meeting, you're doing that meeting or whatever. And, and, um, so the developers I'm working with have, have mentioned that they're interested in learning, learning how to do more of the lead role. And so I've been delegating more like, all right, you lead this meeting, you write that document, you know, it's kind of, Giving it across and um it was wasn't really a vacation but i had like four days off and uh, it was really cool to not check slack for most of those days and come back uh, after four days off and then nothing's on fire everything's like okay uh work got done um clients happy i was kind of like looking around you know you like you cover your eyes a little bit and like peek through the fingers no it was totally fine so that was a wild experience uh and then i mean not wild but it's just different like it's good it's a good experience and then yeah so so now it's they did so much work while i was gone that now i'm like oh shoot now i have to like spend all this time in jira so they have more stuff to do which is good but yeah a lot of writing a lot of like combing through designs and the the project i'm on now it it was originally done like only desktop and and so there's there's so much work that goes into removing that constraint okay now we're done with the desktop and people are using it now we're going to make it mobile friendly it's like well i in my opinion that's sort of a backwards approach and now you have to do all this work to undo the constraints that were built into it but especially when using like a UI kit and the UI kits being used on projects you don't have any visibility into. And then you have to start making changes to it. Like, okay, well now the typography configuration, like now they're responsive sizes. And so you're touching, you're touching these like blocks that are foundational to a bunch of projects and you're just hoping you're not breaking other things. So it's kind of like a slog, like 
I actually was posting around uh, this week asking like if anybody had experience in sort of like visual diffing with uh, with just like snapshots or uh, do you know have you had any experience with just snapshots at all, Rockwell? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, so uh, let's say that you have like a UI kit and you have a bunch of components like a base input, like a text input checkbox. Uh, some card components, whatever, like your base building blocks, like Tailwind UI sort of components in a way. Um, you can essentially with Jest, like a testing framework, uh, have it take a snapshot of the rendered code, like the markup. And that way, when you're making changes in the future and you run tests, if the snapshot's different, um, then it'll, it'll fail. So it'll force you to be like, okay, what's different between these two versions? Uh, and, and then, so fast forward, you've got a whole UI kit and you're making changes to these foundational, like configurations for the theme. And then all these snapshots are updating and you're like, okay, I don't know if it's safe to just accept all these changes or like have to go through them, comb like through a comb. It's like reading, it's like opening up like view source in Chrome and just reading stuff and trying to figure out if it's okay. (laughs) What's wrong with that? That's a perfectly valid way of doing things it's so time consuming and also like it's very noisy it's super noisy and so it can be really it's just error prone right like when you're having to search for needles essentially in a haystack like that it's error prone you're gonna miss stuff and and so yeah so uh one thing i did was with mui you you call a method called create mui theme and it spits out an object and it has like spacing utilities it has the typography it has like the color palette in it like you import that theme and you use it in in your code right uh the problem is that you can you can override mui's default component styles with css objects but you have to pass it in when the theme is being created but what if you have spacing utilities configured that you want to use in the theme overrides well, you have to create a base theme first and then import that in your overrides and pass that into the the final theme that gets created, right? So you create a base theme without passing in. you pa- I, I create a base theme and then I pass in the colors and I pass in like the spacing and that's it. And then I create another theme that passes in like uh, overriding the tab component style, overriding like individual component styles, right? So the next level up, the next layer up, so I think... Yeah, so it gets a little messy when you're changing this stuff and then you run the test that snapshots are different and you're like, okay, what's different about this? So it gets even more complicated when you have lots of component overrides and you're relying on spreading objects into other objects because the order matters. Ah, uh, yeah. Right, so if the order gets changed, you could break styles. You could, suddenly it looks different. And that's really hard to catch in a snapshot test. Uh, so that's that's what I've been fighting with. I mean, that's probably why I'm tired right now. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so I started looking around for like visual diffing. So is there a way that I could like have Puppeteer take a screenshot of the rendered markup? And so that way I can look at a picture of them. Because to me, that'd be a lot easier to spot things. I know what the UI kit looks like. I know what the hi-fi designs look like. So if I can compare the rendered snapshot to that, that'd be nice. Um, So it looks like there might be some stuff out there, but it's certainly not a cottage industry. There's not much out there uh, to do this. There are third-party services like Storybook has one. I forget what it's called, but essentially keeps a visual, it keeps a track of all your visual discs for you, which is cool. But you know, good luck convincing your client to pay for another thing, right? And and this client is is in the security is in the security space, so they're going to want to vet everything, you know. 
and and most of the stuff they run is open source and behind their own VPN wall. So yeah, I can't like that's not uh, that's not a solution. So there's another there is one called Percy, which looks really cool. I think it's a I'll let me pull the link up really quick. It's just visual diffing, right? So it compares screenshot A to screenshot B, and it will tell you if it's different, which is nice. Um, but it's you know it's a SaaS. As far as I'm aware, it's not open source. You can host it yourself. So, you know, you're kind of out of luck there. So the only other solution looks like something puppeteer-based, which is going to be a whole thing as well. So please, God, if anyone listening knows about any of this stuff, let me know. <laughs> you're asking the wrong person here. I, I can't help you. As I'm explaining this, like, this problem to you, what, how do you feel about it? Uh, well, having never written UI tests, <laughs> um, you know, I've just gotten by by click testing everything forever. UI tests, controller tests, unit tests, you name it. I've click tested it. <laughs> it's something I've th- thought about sometime. Like, at some point, I'm probably going to have to work somewhere that has a real testing environment. And... Or, or like, I'm going to be on an interview and someone's going to ask me, so tell me about your testing strategy. And I'm going to have to be like, shrug. <laughs> you know, the real answer is, I see the value in testing. I just haven't been able to justify it for doing my own personal projects because I'm just one person. And like, you know, the value of the test is, yeah, tests are valuable regardless, but they're more valuable when you've got a lot of people working on one thing, right? That's why I write them for my open source projects, right? I always have tests for those things, uh, but not for my own stuff. Like, who cares? It's just me. <laughs> I'm just yelling at myself. So my thought is, I don't even have enough context to know what the right answer is. Like this, this um, like visual diffing, okay. What does that even look like? Like, <laughs> does someone go through it by hand? What if, what if, uh, what if the the markup is different? You know, what if you've changed uh, some kind of accessibility attribute, but the, the 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 diff is still the same visually, right? What if there's a padding instead of margin, but just happens to you know pixel for pixel end up being the same mm-hmm. on an individual component, but uh, within the layout is totally broken. I mean, I think at that point I would prefer false positives over shipping something that's busted that I just didn't see. What do you? How do you mean? Like, well, I would I would prefer to look at a add it to pictures that are the same and be like, Oh, never mind, They're the same. Accept it versus, Oh shoot. This thing is like having the, having like looking at the specifications and issues spreadsheet and noticing a new row in it. I would much rather. Okay. Two images that might be the same, like a false positive in that way. than having to talk about the thing on the stand up. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Cause that, that's going to, you know, solve 99% of the issues. And then, uh, yeah, the 1% of the time. Yeah. You just go back and fix it. But it seems like such a such a heavy-handed thing, right? It seems like we shouldn't have to do this. It seems it seems like such a big mechanical moving piece. Oh, you're gonna have to spin up a headless browser and take screenshots of the the stuff you're building. You know, maybe this is hashtag enterprise. You know, I mean, the software I'm working on is not enterprise, but sometimes it feels like it. Forgetting the whole testing piece for a second, it's it's just it it raises the question of what's the underlying cause of this like why I, I know you just explained it like you're, you're doing a lot of refactoring you're trying to take this desktop thing and make it mobile yeah you're making a lot of changes but but fundamentally like how can this happen <laughs> you know do you have <laughs> are the components too deep, deeply nested are there just too many components to keep track of 
is it a problem with material UI and the way that, you know, attributes and stuff are passed down that like, you know, you need to have some kind of better system for structuring the styling of the UI? You know, do you need a DSL? Probably not. You could you could surmise all day about what the underlying root cause is, but the when it comes down to it, like there's probably nothing you can do about it because it's there's too much momentum and you can't you can't just change this fundamental way of the way the application works. You can just kind of learn from it and maybe apply to it to a few maybe apply what you learned to a future project. Well, I think so so the question of like why is this happening is a really good question to ask too. Like I think it's a probably important to ask that. Um and the point about momentum is also valid because yeah, that like you said, even if you ask why, the momentum or the momentum required by the client is enough to make the why not matter in in many cases, right? Um, I think in our case, you know, we inherited code from the client and, and it's, I think like theming is, theming is difficult in general, especially when you're, when you're trying to use semantic naming, like I think you can pull out semantic naming. You just have to be very disciplined about it by semantic naming. I mean, like, uh, instead of, you know, having a palette with colors in it, you have like card one, card two, card three, H1, H2, H3, uh, you know, just things that map to uh, semantically. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, and that's the thing is that, you know, half it was built halfway by a different team and then came over to our team. And then what made it more difficult was like designs had been done uh, and they were, well, designs hadn't been done, hadn't been completed when their team was building this thing. And so then we get handed designs that don't necessarily reflect what we got. And so it's it's a number of things, right, that lead up to. And I don't mean to make excuses here, um, but it's a number of things that led up to the point where there are changes happening to the UI kit and design. Um, there are changes happening uh, to features outside of the UI kit, like the building blocks of this thing, and we're doing work to sort of reconcile them both. And and you know we want we need to keep velocity up. We need to hit our targets. Uh, in terms of like, okay, this is what you can have this quarter, uh, and that's what they tell their investors or whatever. Uh, so it's 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 doing it all correctly and not rushing because I think like yeah I can catch all these mistakes if I literally can sit there for half a day and look at snapshots, right? But I don't think I can. I don't feel like I can do that, you know. So this sounds, feels like the situation I was describing uh, last week where walking in on the guy trying to resolve merge conflicts. He's, <laughs> yeah, got his, yeah. he's got his head in his hands. That's what that feels like to me. It's just it's just frustration caused by, I don't know, process issues. Yeah. And I think I think the real issue here is that there are fun like there are foundational changes happening at the same time. So there are found like if we're thinking in layers again like like uh stratified design or whatever the the theme object itself, the configuration, typography, colors, spacing, uh, component overrides, those are like pretty low level in terms of this 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 cake that we have for the front end. And then you have the pages that are using these components that are importing these these shared components and they're being used in pages and they're being used on the actual application. That's like the high level, right? So that level is easier to change than the lower level. And when you're changing the lower level, it has effects that cascade throughout the higher levels, right? My first question already is why is your theme in an object? Why isn't it just functions? MUI. Yeah, I know, but that's one way you can abstract that those changes away is just uh, have a thing that just has a bunch of methods or getters or functions on it that 
get the individual themes and that way you have the flexibility to add options uh have all your kind of logic for that stuff in in one place i don't know enough about how mui theming works but oh that's that's how it works it's all in one spot the sure the issue is that it's very there's just a lot of it because mui has a whole lot of components in it but our thing doesn't look like MUI. So we have to, as many components exist, we have to overwrite those components with theme overrides, right? So now you're doubling, you have double essentially. For any component that you use, you now have to have an override to make it, make sure it looks like uh, the designs or the app that you're working in, right? And 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 so as we're, as we're building this out, as we're changing, like as the UI kit is being updated, right? So I'm talking about the desktop now has some some font sizes that are like 14 pixels but on mobile if it's 14 pixels and someone taps in the input then it zooms in and maybe the client doesn't want that so then you have to update that to 16 pixels so you're changing that typography that could be used anywhere like you're importing you're importing something from the theme which is valid and you change that and it like that's where that cascading effect comes right and and so really like it's not really avoidable uh, like changing changing the bottom layer of this this setup isn't avoidable because that's the work that's happening. It's foundational. The UI kit is changing. The building, like the Legos of this thing, are changing. So those things have to be updated. Um, and it just so happens that it it just cascades out, makes it more difficult. So, but I think that's that's the reality of it is that the work we're doing is touching both the lower levels and the upper levels at the same time. And I think if we're able to do it, I think if we were able to only work on the lower level or only work on the, obviously working on only the higher levels, about as easy as it can get, right? Because there's not that many consequences. Like you're changing a page, that one page is the only thing that changes. Um, It's just that the reality of the project currently is that because we went from desktop to also doing mobile and tablet and desktop, that the lower level has to change as well as the higher level too. Yeah, this reminds me of uh, our discussion with Eric about stratified design, where you've got arrows, and you've got this sort of layers of boxes and arrows pointing from one layer down to the next, and then from that layer down to the one below it. And uh, his reasoning, or his rationale in the book was that layers at the bottom, like you said, are foundational. They should be sort of simple. They should be correct. They should never change. You should probably test those the most. And uh, not test the ones at the edge so much, you know, just test the, the, the core foundation. And that way, you know, that you've got, uh, you know, foundational building blocks to build that stuff on. But, you know, like you said, you're, you're touching that necessarily. And so that's going to, that's going to cascade. Whereas the leaves at sort of the top of your, uh, at the top of your stratified design, you've got your pages, which, yeah, like you said, are easy to change as a one-off because it doesn't affect anything. Yeah. So I haven't really thought about this too much in the idea or the vein of stratified design, but it it's um it makes a lot of sense. It's funny, it's fun to apply this to the front end side of the stack. Like I guess it's not even just the front end side of the stack, right? It's 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 more than that because the the main building blocks here are used in multiple applications at this point. So it's not just the front end at that point. It's it's literally uh a a dependency of these other things that is is changing. So yeah, I, I I think that I've been, I've been trying to think about stratified design more, like as I'm reviewing pull requests and things, like looking at the code. Like, are we crossing layers here? Is there an abstraction we can make here? Uh, I'm not trying to get too wild about it, but just I think thinking about those layers and are we reaching across the boundaries gets you pretty like pretty far. 
without having to prescribe specific, like here's a specific pattern that you can apply to this thing. Right. But yeah, that's just, that's what I've been just honestly struggling with uh, for a little bit now is trying to, trying to keep up with all the changes that are happening. Cause we have weekly design calls with the client where things happen. And oftentimes that results in, Oh shoot. Okay. We need to adjust something in the theme. All right, here we go again. You know, like we're going spelunking again and, uh, it just sort of adds up. So I'm looking for a convenient, uh, way to help me with that. And I haven't found one yet. <laughs> Software development's hard, man. Well, it's like, I, I, you know, I, I introduced a couple of bugs because I was talking about the, how, how some of the things in the theme, right. We have like, um, we have a dark theme and a light theme, and then we have commonalities between the two. So common typography, common colors, uh, common component overrides, and we have the common stuff to find first. And then we have light and dark, and then you have to spread, uh, like say you have dark dot palette and light dot palette. Uh, and then you have common colors between them. You want to, you want to create dark dot palette and you want to take the common ones and then overwrite, you have like the main palette and then you overwrite what needs to be overwritten with the dark specific colors and, and the same thing for the light. Well, if you, if you switch the order that you're doing it, uh, it's broken, you know? And the problem is that, yeah, it's easy to kind of keep that in mind, but when you're actually making the change, you know, reviewing MRs, uh, hopping in meetings, uh, talking with people on Slack, um, trying to figure out, uh, and I'm not trying to paint a sob story here, but it's just the reality of programming. It's like programming itself is hard, but like doing the right thing while doing all these other things is even more difficult. And so it makes it even harder for me to just get it right in the first place, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, because you, you can't keep all the context of the entire thing in your head all the time. So you have to have the tools or the resources or the processes in place to sort of force you in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. So I think at least having a visual diff, like going back to that would be helpful, but who knows? It may, it may not even like be the th- the right thing. You know, it may not, it may. But whose job is it to worse. look at that? Me. Who's going to do it? That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> How much time is that going to cost? How much money is that going to cost? Exactly. I feel like you could do it with, uh, like you could hack something together where you just friggin' suck some pixels off the canvas, like in in Chrome, and just like dump it to disk, and then do some kind of uh, like MD5 diffing, and, and like or use a use a what's it called? Uh, R magic, image magic, yeah, image magic, and just friggin'. Uh, overlay the two things with opacity or like subtract them. I feel like you could, you could do this with a shell script. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Paul is saying best of luck selling that. So what, when you're describing that in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'll have to support this too. Oh yeah. And then when, when we hand the props over them, then they have to support it. So that's a, like a non-starter in, in my mind because they, if they, you know, they don't have the time, they don't have time for that. Uh, proof of concept. Proof, proof concept. of concept. Well, I mean, there's things like I'm putting this in. I'll put this in the show notes too. But like, uh, it's called uh, for Storybook. It's called Add-on Story Shots Puppeteer. Have you have you used Storybook at all, Rockwell? I don't know what any of these proper nouns are. Okay. <laughs> I guess I should explain it for the the audience too. But like Storybook. But imagine you have like your component UI toolkit, right? Uh, 
Storybook is a way for you to build a toolkit and then also showcase it. So here, I'm going to send you a link so you can look at it. You know, you have a sidebar with a list of components. So in the, this example, you have charts. And under the charts folder, you have a line graph, pie chart, histogram. And then they might have like the account menu. You might have tooltips, badges, buttons, you know, like things that you would use compo- like, that you turn into components. I've seen this described as the kitchen sink. The kitchen sink, exactly. For demoing uh, like Bootstrap. I think they call this the kitchen sink where you can play with all the components. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So, so you click on like pie chart and you, you kind of like put this all together. So in the code for storybook, you create a new story for pie chart and then you pull the pie chart in and then there are different things you can do with it. So they have like what's called knobs and, uh, knobs and buttons. So you can say like, you can expose the props so you can make a text input if you want to change, like allow the user that's using storybook to change something in the, in the pie chart, right? You can sort of make it interactive. This is still effectively click tasting though, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, so we're using Storybook and then there's an add-on called StoryShots Puppeteer. And so when you make changes, you can run a command that it goes through the Storybook and takes screenshots of all your stories. So in my mind, that's like the closest to what I want because the Storybook's got to exist anyway. If I can just catalog what it looks like and have a really quick way without switching branches to see if things are different... That's that's really a, what I want. It, I still have to go through it by hand, but it, I'm not looking at code. Like I'm not like visually diffing HTML and trying to like in my mind because visually I would look at it and try to render it in my brain, right? So if I can actually render it, that'd be better. <laughs> it's even worse render than like IE five. It's uncanny valley render. That's what it is. <laughs> Something's not quite It's all right. in Comic Sans and, exactly. and like the box model is all wrong. The text is just dangling off the end of the of the div. But yeah, essentially Storybook is like the kitchen sink example. You can you can manipulate it, you can play with it. Um and and there are a pile of add-ons and one of them happens to be a puppeteer. So I might try that. But essentially, yeah, we have we have our main component library and we use Storybook for it. Um and then that main component library is pulled into other other applications so sorry i'm just <laughs> i'm looking at this beautiful uh utopia of pure ui components and just laughing to myself <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> so you get this thing it's working you have to wrap them in component uh, wrap them in containers on containers on providers on top of mm-hmm and then you have to think about mocking API, like if components work with API, like say like, yeah, you're mocking, like if you're, if you have a UI kit, like those components probably don't make, you know, API calls or something. But what if you're using Storybook to build like the end API, like your end application, then you have to worry about mocking API requests in most cases, unless you always have a staging server running with, you know, who, then, then you were, then you worry about like schema migrations or whatever, like mismatching versions and stuff. It's a mess. Uh, so yeah, when you say this perfect utopia, it makes me laugh. Cause I'm like, I, I, I would imagine that most storybooks are just garbage. Like they're just dumpster fires. <laughs> this would never work for me. That's all I can say. Yeah, but it's like working pretty. It's it's kind of nice to honestly work with. Like when we're doing UI kit, we we send an MR to each other again using GitLab. So merge request, 
And then I, you know, I pulled on their branch, opened up Storybook, and then I can say, oh, can you go back and add a couple of stories for this specific edge case that we fixed or this specific edge case where the design was changed or whatever. And that's honestly kind of nice because then I don't have to like go through and click around in the UI to try to get it into a state where I can test it. It's just presentational. It's just kind of there. It's easy to to have exist in that capacity, but it's just like any other dependency, right? Like you have to have conventions. Otherwise you have stories with names that don't make sense. You have some have bobs and, you know, knobs and buttons and some don't some it's just, I don't know. It's, you have, it's almost like a full-time job just to manage the storybook side of things too. So it just takes, (laughs) Jesus, it takes a lot of diligence to (laughs) keep it up to date. But again, that's, that's my job, I guess. So job security right there. Yeah. How does that, how does it, how does it make you feel? I feel, do you feel like I'm on a totally different planet from like where I was (laughs) six months ago? I just feel happy just wallowing in the mud of my, my tightly coupled, unreusable view components with global scattered everywhere, global state, global callbacks. You know what? It's fine. (laughs) I don't want this code so bad. I'm not going to want to reuse it anyway. So why would I bother making it reusable? Now imagine you're working with a client and their APIs don't exist yet. And you're having to, <laughs> you're having to mock all the data based off of what they told you it would look like. And now you have storybook components that are based off of that data and they, they deliver you the API. I'm not saying this client did this cause they did not but imagine a scenario where they deliver the APIs and it doesn't look like anything, uh, anything like they told you it would. And you get to go and redo all of that. <laughs> yeah, I would have just said no at the first the first thing. Just said no. Just yeah, yeah, wait yeah, till yeah. the API is done. Hey, Amen. Stay in Indie Land, Rockwell. Stay in Indie Land. Bring me back to you. <laughs> anyway, um, that's this is what I'm dealing with. So if I seem tired, I guess this is why. Like you're making me realize how much of a just a horse and pony show or whatever the saying is, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's useful in many cases, but it's a, it's a lot. I don't know. It's cool to hear about all these tools and processes that you have, and I like to imagine having the time to Im- implement them. But then I also think about like what value would that add for, you know, a developer team of one? Not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. You know, future me, maybe. If I was bringing other people, maybe. If uh, I was gonna, you know, if this was a handoff situation where i had to get stuff ready for someone else to take care of like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna spend all the time on the tooling to make that transition and you know learning and teaching process as easy as possible but until i get hit by a bus it's just it's just garbage layers all the way down so i guess the the analogy i've been trying to use a little bit when talking to people internally about do we build or do we buy i try to think about it in like like boats maybe yeah, a small dinghy fishing boat. Yeah, it's easy enough for one person to wrangle, easy enough for one person to take care of. Doesn't cost very much money. The upkeep on it is like nothing. Versus a yacht where you have a dedicated crew and it costs a lot of money to take care of a boat, keep a boat like fixed up and and you do you can't just like take it out with just one person. You have to have a team, right? Is it is it a fishing boat or is it a yacht? Where is it on the spectrum? It's really funny you bring this analogy up because just the other night uh i happened to see a picture of a one of these super yachts you know like 500 million dollar super yachts and i'm thinking to myself man i want to know what it's like to just look inside that 
And sure enough, I came across superyacht.tv, which is a streaming TV station that is just entirely video ads for yachts that are for charter or for sale. It's it's a whole other world. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Especially when, you know, like people out of work, the economy could be in shambles, like, and you still got super yacht just streaming away. <sighs> yeah, man. That's what it was like going to Southern California to to meet up with the DK crew, because that's where Lindsay's from. Like staying at a hotel and there's yachts parked out back. The captains are out there hosing the boat down, sweeping it, cleaning it, like doing all the work. You know, it's it's just, I don't know, pretty, pretty different. It's a different lifestyle altogether. But to your point, I was looking at some of these yachts and like usually the number of crew is more than the number of passengers on them. You know, yeah. one of these was like 40 person crew in a 24 passenger capacity, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about your dependencies. That's right. Talking about your leaky extraction, right? You're just leaking money all over the place. <laughs> Hopefully the yacht's not leaky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you want it to a little bit. Like if the wave comes up, you want it to shoot off the sides or whatever, leak out the sides. The bilge <laughs> pump. The bilge pump should be working, but. <laughs> just use nautical analogies from now on. We're going for buoyant design. That's right. You need the coat at the top to displace the coat at the bottom so the coat at the top can stay afloat. Workshop it. Uh, we're workshopping it. But yeah, so that's um that's what that's what that's what I'm up to over here, just experiencing the front end world full force. Really I just want to get back to my electron app, so <laughs> it's much simpler. I don't want to work on this front end anymore. I want to go work on this front end. Well, uh, it's getting to that time. Time to get back on my yacht. The SS Bucky. Uh, well, if uh, if anybody doesn't have an, a solution to my problems, please let me know. Please, I'm begging <laughs> you. Someone out there has a solution. They just they're just not listening yet. Somebody knows which NPM package I need. <laughs> oh God! When when your solution is adding more NPM packages, uh, when is that not the solution though? Uh, what is uh What did uh What did Jose say about Elixir? It's a batteries included language. Elixir's done, man. They're not adding more features to Elixir. It's feature complete. That's right. It's true. I'm not being sarcastic. That's a, that's a thing that they said, and they're sticking to it. It's kind of kind of cool to think about. Give us your hot takes on Twitter, DNC Cast, Sean Sean Washbot, and I'm Shrockwell. Kid Queb says npm install React hyphen problem you have. So true. So true. He's not wrong. Except when the uh that the package that stole the canonical or the package that stole the really good catchy name was the first one and therefore it's the oldest one and therefore it hasn't ma- maintained in, in three years and has five hundred and seventy two GitHub issues and uh it hasn't been updated since NPM or node twelve. You know, the, they they forked off of it and then they have a different name and it's uh have to come up with a clever name that you'll never be able to find. Surely you've been there before. I have, yeah, I have been there before. So, Shy Ryan is saying, what if my problem is React? Well, let's see, the thing is, Shy Ryan, there's such a term as micro frontends, right? So you could just slap, no. slap up a view app right next to the React one and problem solved. 
anything we talked about today are going to be it's going to be linked in the show notes. So head on over to dnc.show for access to all those sweet links. You know what I did the first time I tried to use Node? I did npm, you know, install whatever I was trying to do. I don't remember. This was years ago. npm install, downloading, 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 done. I looked at the Node modules folder. I just deleted the whole folder and walked away. Just closed the terminal. <laughs> deleted the folder. I was like, this is garbage. I didn't learn, Sean. I didn't learn. You can't uh, You can't escape it. How far we've fallen. Show notes are on dnc.show. Uh, I stole your line. <laughs> uh, what else? We're recording Twitch every Thursday night, 6 Pacific, 9 Eastern, twitch.tv slash dncast. Um, we're gonna have some guests on soon. We have two guests in the pipeline coming up. We'll let you know about those as soon as we know. Really excited about those three guests, actually. Right? Mm-hmm. We're doing another uh, another another book chat. Thomas hooked us up another one. We got another. We got a book chat. We got a developer chat. We got a, another developer chat, blogger chat. So, uh, yeah, going by the Twitch and and see some faces other than ours. Uh, yes, the Discord. If you're interested in talking shop, if you're interested in talking about, I don't know, 3D printing, uh, cooking, uh, money and finances, and what else have we been talking about lately? Video games, uh, anything at all. I guess like if you also if you're interested in learning how to program, you haven't taken the plunge yet, or you're wanting to learn more, uh, we have you know a whole Discord full of people that want to help out. Yeah, as Thomas in the chat is saying, we've been talking about MR, MRR, building apps to. Uh, launch and, and make money with. So if that sounds interesting to you. Uh, in the show notes, we have a link to uh, an invite for the Discord chat, and uh, you should definitely join us. Everybody's welcome. By the way, quick PSA about MRRs. If you're setting up an LLC, Jess just did this recently for uh, something she's working on. I've never done this, but holy crap, the amount of scammy looking or the professional looking scams that she's gotten in the mail since registering the LLC, you got to be on the lookout for this stuff because it's it should be illegal how how uh serious the, these these snail mail things look and they're asking for like you know hundreds of dollars to do some nonsense thing because you have an LLC and your information's public and they're trying to scam you out of some money please be aware if that that is a thing i didn't know it was a thing it sucks that it's a thing i'm not surprised not surprised one bit but um, yeah, well, I guess I'll talk to you uh, next week. Yeah, man. See you.